There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Asking Robbins always finds out. I have further faster than Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. The show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and the band is back again. We've got everybody here. We've got Chris, we've got Peaches, we've got Robbie. Gentlemen, welcome back. How are you? I call Kazoo. Everyone is here. The, like, the forced Flintstones character? No, in the band. The band's back together. I'm playing the kazoo. You're, you're thinking of the great gazoo. Gazoo? Yeah, the little green alien. Yeah, no, Robbie's thinking of the great oh, gazoo. Oh, that's his... You're, I didn't, you're saying, no, yeah. that's Marvin the Martian. What? <laughs> what? Who? Oh, you're, now you're thinking Why? of Banjo-Gazooie. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Uh, Chris, you haven't been on for a little while. I haven't. Uh, yeah. How about you just give us uh, your your very brief thoughts on the first couple episodes of Hawkeye? Yeah, very very brief thoughts. Uh, you know, I can't do that. It's impossible. So <laughs> you I'll just, have just talk. said no. I'll talk. Thoughts, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk until you tell me to stop. Um, I've really really enjoyed this show quite All a right, bit. All right, that's I've, enough. That's enough. Cut him off. No, you can't cut me off. I'm the sound lord. Oh, oh, shit. I'm the sound lord for this episode. Oh, that's true. That's true. Oh, I never should have uh, started sharing my powers. You should not have relinquished the power. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm having a lot of fun with this. Kate Bishop, best new Marvel character in a while, I think. I just immediately... I mean, I've always liked Haley Steinfeld. You know, she's, she's great in everything that I've seen her in. And, I mean, we knew even before they cast Kate Bishop, there was a reason that her name was the one that kept coming up. And she's doing great. It's actually made me appreciate Clint Barton more. You know, I, ne- I was never one of those, oh, Hawkeye sucks. But I was always, oh, Hawkeye's there. And he's, you know, good when he gets to do stuff. He did have one of the best moments in Age of Ultron with his little speech to Wanda. But I'm really enjoying their, uh, their connection uh, and their relationship in this. But yeah, having a great time with the show. Uh, I I loved uh, the Rogers musical. I was very sad I did not get to participate in that part of the, the discussion, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, a couple things I actually did want to point out. The song was written by uh, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, who are most famous for writing the music and lyrics for the Broadway musical Hairspray. If you've uh, ever seen that or the movie, or the movie it was based on, which didn't have songs, but... You know, so, you know, a, 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 it's a Tony Award winning musical. And the uh, director of the first couple episodes of Hawkeye, whose name is Reese something or other, you've talked about it before. I don't remember his last name, and I'm sorry I didn't look it up. Uh, I do want to point. No, no, that's a different Reese. Without um, her spoon. No. Yeah. It's, it's Reese Decay Fork. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <That makes sense. laughs> anyway, this, uh, but uh, that gentleman. And I apologize for forgetting his name. Was actually the creator, uh, co-creator of a TV show called Documentary Now, uh, which is a parody of documentary shows. And one episode that they did, which was written by John Mulaney, was a parody of 
a, a failed Broadway musical getting together to write uh, or to record their cast album. And he cited that as something that he was able to draw on for the Rogers, the musical stuff, which I, I enjoyed. Also, there was a little clip of a uh, Spider-Man today and he swings by a Rogers, the musical billboard. So that's fun. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I've, I, I've really enjoyed the show. Um, I will, uh, I was laughing very hard when, uh, you just started talking about Kingpin last time and, Robbie thinking that it was going to be a stork and literally everyone <laughs> being like, Hey, look, it's the Kingpin. Um, <laughs> that was hilarious. my bad y'all. I thought it was crazy and apparently I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Nope. You're, you're, you're perfectly sane. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, to talk about this episode with you. And uh, if anything comes up where I should be able to talk about previous episodes, you know, I'll, I'll inject my thoughts there, but I'm just yeah. really happy you're finally here. In particular, not getting to talk to you about Rogers the Musical hurt me, like, physically. Yeah, it was it hurt me physically not to be there. But I uh, I had a blast listening to those episodes this week while I was, uh, while I was working. Uh, for, for the listeners, I think they mentioned it, but I have moved across the country. Angela and I packed up and, you know, moved to warmer pastures. And uh, it was very hard for me to watch TV or anything because they were all in boxes. So, because now he I, lives in a field, yep, where there aren't yeah, any we don't, TVs, no place we can plug anything in. It's horrible. Yeah, I have to, I have to wait for an airplane to go by, and uh, try to flag it down. And if they land in the pasture next to me, then I can go in and watch on one of the tiny little screens in the back of the seat in front, uh, in front of. That's you know, very kind of them. <laughs> it really is. You know, we live in a really nice place. Wow. Everyone is so friendly. Uh, the pilots are. Uh, the the passengers, usually not so much. But when I tell them I have to watch this for a podcast, then they, they usually understand. Well, oh. we appreciate the pilots. Everyone here appreciates the pilots. We appreciate you for moving down. <laughs> and we really appreciate all of our listeners over at patreon.com slash assembly required who support us, supporting this very show. Come on down. Give us a join. Uh, we've got a new Avengers level pra- patron. So thank you to Michael, our newest patron. Hey. Thank you a, a ton. If you want to be part of the, the Patreon, you can come on over to assembly requ- or patreon.com slash assembly required. Join our patron exclusive discord. Be part of our uh, community events. I'm going to wager for anybody that's been on bated breath. We probably will not be having a community event this month because of the holidays. There's a lot going on for lots of different people getting that kind of stuff together with uh, people's schedules going all crazy. Figure we'll just wait until January and get all that stuff kind of together. So if you're looking at we appreciate the pilots. So, Peach, before we start with the episode, you gave us some trivia last week, but we never got the answers. Yeah, I uh, I didn't want to leave anybody hanging that might have been waiting to hear the answers. I, I can't imagine hearing trivia and then waiting a week to look up the answer. But just in case you're one of those people who was waiting on me to reveal, uh, I will, with Soundlord here, I will ask the question one more time. See if he knows the answer, and then I will reveal the answer. So the first question from the trivia was, in the current iteration of the MCU, what does S.H.I.E.L.D. stand for? And we got almost all the way there without you, Chris. All right. I know you know it by heart, though, you nerd. Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement Logistics Division. Yeah, he did it. We needed Chris. That's who we needed on the cruise. Second question was... Next time, bring me. (laughs) Okay, yeah. All right. Second question... (laughs) 
again, was worded strangely, but the question was, what does Yandu name his arrows or what is Yandu's arrows name or something along those lines that made me think that he gave his arrow a pet name? Little Stevie. Um, Little arrow. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Oliver but, Queen. Uh, it, is, uh, it is the Yaka arrow. <laughs> yes, it is the Yaka arrow. They were trying to, to talk about what the... Uh, like I guess the brand of the arrow is like, uh, it's it's the wood that it is carved from, like a yaka uh, tree. Yeah, the yaka tree, the wood of the yaka tree is um, sensitive to sound, and uh, that's why you can control it by whistling. Uh, at least sense. in the com in the comics, that's how that worked. Um, I think uh, they you know it's controlled by the fin. I think more in in the MCU, they never really explain it. There's probably some explanation somewhere, mm. but it's a yaka arrow. All right. So, uh, which I will, I will, I will say that the only reason I know that I, I told you this, Peaches, but is because in the D and D game that I am in, that is uh, DM'd by a friend of the show, Cody. Uh, one of the uh, characters in our party has a custom item. It's a, it's an enchanted crossbow bolt that acts like that, and it's a yaka bolt. So yeah, that's, that's the only reason I knew that one. <laughs> what a cool thing! That's that's how you get me to play D and D. Is let me have cool stuff like that. I still probably wouldn't like it after like two games. I'm so sorry, all my D and D friends. It's just Cody's going to hear this and he's going to invite. I know. You to, uh, to our next session. It's now. not Cody. It's <laughs> not you, man. It's me. Okay, I promise. It's me. Okay. Third question, Robbie. You can't answer this because you said you looked it up last time. When Carol Danvers crashes into a blockbuster in Captain Marvel, she picks up a VHS from a shelf. What is the VHS she picks up, Chris? Do you did you know this one? I did not know this one. I I had to look this one up as well. Okay, the answer to that one is the right stuff. And like Robbie said, if you watch that scene, it is like not obvious what that VHS is. It is not like you don't get a focus of the the box art or anything. You just kind of, I guess, have to know that that's the movie. Yeah. Now, th- there's a reason that that's the movie. Did you look this up or anything? Nope. Sure didn't. Okay, so- the right stuff. I was is salty a... about losing trivia, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Fair. the The right stuff is a historical drama. It's based on the book of the same name by Tom Wolfe. Follows Navy, Marine, and Air Force test pilots who are involved in aeronautical research at Edwards Air Force Base, as well as the Mercury Seven, who are the seven military pilots who are selected to be the astronauts for Project Mercury, the first human space flight by the United States. So thematically it ties in with carol danvers story so you would call that an easter egg is what i'm hearing uh you know yes actually i would say uh, that that is a bit of an easter egg it is a in in the sense that it is an intentional choice that that ties in with the story there all right well there you go listeners there's your trivia i hope um i hope you got all the answers right and if you didn't well we're all in the same boat so wouldn't it be more accurate to say it's foreshadowing that she's eventually going to go to space? Well, she's already been to space by this point. But now you know that she's, if you're paying close attention, you know she has the right stuff. It's telling you that she will go back to space before the movie's over. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that works for me, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, what this is telling me is that it's time to talk about our episode today, which is going to be Hawkeye, episode four, Partners, am I right? Directed by Bert and Birdie. And written by Ernie Cancino and Heather Quinn. Isn't that funny? For no reason in particular. (laughs) (laughs) 
We all know someone with that name. That's funny. <laughs> Picking up right where episode three left off, Clint remains held at sword point by Jack, who is wielding the collapsible Ronin sword. All of the built-up dramatic tension from the previous week's cliffhanger is immediately broken, however, by Eleanor and Jack fangirling over an Avenger being in their living room. Wow, you were not lying. You put some of your own opinions right in, right here into the, the script. Listeners, I'm sorry. I wrote this one, and I was a little sassy the whole time. Peach, I'm so proud of you. Make Eduardo say things. It's the best. <laughs> Claiming she and CB1 are friends slash partners, Kate attempts to lie about the nature of their break-in and is quickly called out by Eleanor. Eleanor, who seems to know some strangely specific details about Clint's personal life, asks Clint to leave. Clint snatches the Ronin sword as he exits, while Eleanor promptly makes an urgent and mysterious phone call. I feel like they are dangling the kingpin carrot just right in front of our faces over and over and over and over again to the point where it almost feels like they're just not going to show them. Like they're like, it's kingpin, everyone it's kingpin, it's kingpin, it's kingpin. And then it's not kingpin. Like I feel like they would, they would pull something like that. Is that who you think she called? Yeah. I mean, I think so too. Just, I don't know if there's another opinion. I think that's who they want us to think she called. Yeah. I don't know if that is who she called or not. I saw this theory that she is the new kingpin, which I don't necessarily buy. I I am on board with the she her being involved in the criminal underworld in some way, but uh, I don't necessarily think that she's like taken Fisk's businesses over. Yeah, I I think he's gonna be like maybe no more than a cameo, which is fine. Um, I I don't think it's anything. Like, I don't think it's anything super complicated, but I also don't think it's going to be a huge focus point. It's, you know, it's I... one of those. Mm. No, oh, you go, go ahead. ahead, Beach. Oh, no, no, okay. No, you go. Uh, fine. I haven't been here in a while. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where, on the one hand, I can see them being like, we're just going to set up, set up that he's here and he's not necessarily going to be the end game of this because how does he tie in with the stories of Kate and Clint. Now, granted, they can make it work, but it almost feels like the kind of thing that people like us, who are like, oh boy, Kingpin, might be blowing up a little bit more when it's just, this is just the way of reintroducing the Kingpin, reintroducing Wilson Fisk, so that he's available for later stories. So I could see him only showing up in a credit scene, I could see him being a major character the next two episodes. I don't know. Uh, last time I thought that they wouldn't reveal a character late, I was super wrong. And we got an hour of uh, of Kang the Conqueror's variant telling us what happened in Loki. So, You know what? I could, <laughs> I could see that. I could see them saying, hey, you know, it's what we do. Last episode's going to suddenly be different and about this, this villain that you knew was coming. Did you just get a twang? I don't know if anyone else heard that. It kind of sounded like Robbie had a twang. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, no offense to Vera Farmiga, be- because I think she's a great actor. But if she replaced Kingpin, like the Kingpin that we know from the Daredevil series, I feel like a lot of people would riot. Are you saying, so, are you saying, like, actual, you're seeing people on, like, social media or something actually saying this, that, that that's what's happening, she's the new kingpin? 
Yes, and I th- I think and there was a podcast I didn't feel like listening to, uh, and my <laughs> my understanding of what they were saying was that she is taken on the kingpin role, not Wilson Fisk, but you know Fisk is fallen or whatever, and she's going to be the by kingpin I I mean top crime boss of New York City. Okay. Okay. Um. Which I you know, I'm glad I, you mean it that way because I'm like trying to picture her in like the suit with the cuffs and yeah, like yeah. No. I don't mean that she's like the MCU Wilson Fisk or anything like that because because certainly this whole uncle thing directly implies that Wilson Fisk the 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 man exists uh, and you know if Kingpin is a title and Fisk is a person you know I don't know uh, do. That just feels convers- like saying this is how we get the X Men. I'm sorry, like I just yeah, that, that, it just feels like a little bit too much. I think it's it was an overcomplicated way of saying she's important in the criminal underworld of New York City, which I do believe that is a very plausible theory, which I think is something we're going to talk about later. I have other Kingpin thoughts, and I don't know, you know, if I don't know if I should save them for if he ever actually does show up in this series or not should i hold on to them or i think if you have thoughts you should just say your thoughts yeah all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna speak from the heart here and i'm just gonna kind of i didn't put this in the notes so i apologize for like springing this question on you if vincent d'onofrio shows up as wilson fisk as we all assume slash hope is going to happen especially now that kevin feige has confirmed that whenever daredevil shows up whenever that may be charlie cox is going to be playing him are we this is not a question I really like asking, but it is something that we're, the kind of podcast we are has to ask. Are we to assume that he is literally the Wilson Fisk that we watched in three seasons of Daredevil, or are we to assume they liked the casting and kept it a la J.K. Simmons? So we talked about this a little bit on the last episode, not directly, but we talked about the idea of these dark things that these characters did while also being in this universe. I, I assume that it will be Kingpin, but just yeah. like just like comic books will like, there's going to be a darker and gritty comic book set in 616 where Kingpin's doing nasty stuff, and then another comic where he's a somewhat comical, you know, he's never really been a buffoon, but you know what I'm going at. He's a little bit yeah. more of a less serious villain. Yeah. Um, just depending on who's writing it, I think the MCU is going to handle it the same way. So I... I think it will literally be the same character, but also maybe not handled with the same. Mm-hmm. My crazy. assumption is that it's they're going to make it entirely murky, like uh, intentionally murky. Yeah, they're, like uh, this question. Yeah. Marvel is not going to answer this question. Essentially, mm-hmm. yeah. like, they're just going to be like, it's Makes they're going to it's going to look like Kingpin. It's going to act like Kingpin. Will we know? No. Is Daredevil going to at some point be like, man, me and this guy have a lot of history? Yeah, because he probably does. But are they going to say exactly? Me and him have a lot of history over on Netflix. Hit show, Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think they're yeah. ever going to actually say this is that Daredevil. but Because there's such a big question about are the TV shows canon? And honestly, I, I say this as someone who is on a podcast that is called an MCU retrospective. I actually don't. I think canon is overrated. Um, Agreed. Agreed. As a Star Wars fan, agreed. Yeah. I think people get too hung up on... Oh, this counts this up because all these movies retcon each other all the time or contradict each other all the time anyway. And I, I have one friend who is like adamant that he goes, I will not believe the Netflix shows are canon 
unless they directly start talking about things that happen on it. And I think that what they're the way they're going to handle it, and this is the best way to handle it, I think, is that they they're going to say they're not going to address it. They're going to it's the Netflix stuff is going to be broadly quote unquote canon. Uh, nothing super specific is going to happen to contradict it. Nothing super specific is going to happen. There's going to be like, you need to have watched this to understand what's going on. Uh, because I think you don't want to make the people who are, there, there are some devoted fans of those Netflix shows. They're devoted fans of all, all the Marvel TV shows that have been sort of cut loose since the, um, the restructuring. And I think you don't want to upset the people who watched all those shows and you don't want to, you know, alienate people who didn't watch them. And, and I think you can very easily just sort of acknowledge some stuff happened and just have these characters come in already developed and just move from there. And, and it doesn't, it's not going to matter if it was canon or not. Yeah. I think something that's important to tell people who cares a lot about things being canon, whether it's canon or not, it's still not real. <laughs> yes, I. So thank you. A guy from Lucasfilm really wanna... got yelled at on the internet for saying that, but he's right. I really want to talk to your friend so I can watch his reaction to my personal standpoint on canon, which is whatever I feel like is canon is canon to me, and you can't stop me. Yeah, it's, you, you literally. There is literally nothing you can do about me deciding what is canon. Yep. <laughs> so threatening. <laughs> Kind of how it should be, though. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, well, and I think there is a, and we're getting into a much larger topic about what is canon, what is not, about storytelling in general. I think people want, like, uh, you ever see something that has already been done in a medium and then it's done in another medium? I think a good, a good uh, one to talk about is Avatar: The Last Airbender. They tried to make that one movie, and they're making that TV show, and maybe the TV show's good. But Avatar The Last Airbender, as far as a TV show, the original, is almost perfect. There is almost nothing you could give me from a new show that wouldn't have been better served in this representation over here. So I think in a lot of ways, you should just... Like, we should want new stories. I think we should stop wanting them to just retread every story that we've ever been told over and over and over again. I think... As comic book fans, we need to stop being like, man, I can't wait for them to do this comic or this comic. We got to right. stop doing I, that. Illusions yeah. are great. Alluding to like, this is, this has the spirit of this story. That's really fun. Literally just taking it frame by frame right. and just reproducing it. You're wasting my time. Right. I agree. Illusions are great. And tricks are what whores do for money. <laughs> <laughs> or candy. <laughs> 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 also i'm going to tell you right now everything i just said i'm going to contradict myself later because there's another fan theory out there right now about a different character i'm going to talk about and i'm going to talk about i don't want it because it would decanonize the tv show i liked so we'll talk about that later sad also i'm interested just if we do have the kingpin if they're just going to move on because there were serious ramifications in the kingpin's life from the end of season three of daredevil and I'm, I'll be very interested if they do have him, if it's just we forget about those or just, yeah, yeah, whatever. They were temporary. No, I That'll haven't seen Daredevil season three, but I do right. think you can erase anything with the blip. Oh, uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, and it's not erasable. It's literally just comic stuff. I'm, he goes to jail. Don't, Ooh. don't do it. 
okay. Yeah, how well, does prison goes- work with the blip? Do they just continue your sentence from the time that you blip back? Because yeah. if you do that, you were you were also blipped for five years. You've lost five years of the world. I think that like should count as part of your sentence. Just because other people had to go through it as well doesn't mean it wasn't a sentence. Well, let's say actually the implication... you didn't age. Who says you need to age? I mean, yes. I mean, maybe you do half, but like you want the person to be removed from society for five years. They were removed from society for five years. Hold on, fair. Prison is actually about like rehabilitation. No, no, so no, 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 Robbie, we, we live in America. <laughs> no, it's not. Robbie, we live in America. Um, I, I will say, I think the implication is that Fisk was active during the blip, because if if the if it's true he is the guy on top of the tracksuit mafia, then, you know, Hawkeye talks, Clint talks about him. Uh, he's aware of him uh, from his time as Ronan. Which, to me, the easiest thing is, during the chaos of the blip, he got out of jail <laughs> and started reconsolidating his power. Yep, absolutely. And it's yeah. a very, you know, that's a very easy story to tell, is that in the chaos of the blip, Fisk consolidated power. That Agreed. works for people who've watched all the Netflix stuff. It works for people who are just getting introduced to him. I, I think that's, uh, and he has a history with Peter Parker's lawyer, God willing. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I think I'm with... Robbie that I think we don't get we get like a little bit of Kingpin at the end and that's it but then again just like Chris said we said the same thing about Kang the Conqueror and then we had an entire episode so we also thought that we would only get a cameo from Yelena and there's still time for that to be true but she's in the episode with two more to go yeah yeah and and the difference by the way between introducing Fisk in the last episode and introducing Kang slash he who remains in the last episode of Loki is that he has at least been a character that has been mentioned and talked about and hinted at and alluded to throughout this series. Uh, and he already has connections to characters that are in the show. Uh, he's someone that Clint's aware of. Uh, he's someone that Maya has a, a very close relationship with. He's running this organization and we know he's running this organization, introducing the leader of the organization towards the end of the series is pretty different from introducing the man behind the man behind the man uh, that nobody really actually knew existed at the end of Loki. We get it. You hated Loki. I loved Loki. (laughs) Uh, We all know I had mixed feelings about that last episode that were largely papered over because uh, Jonathan Majors is such a compelling performer, (laughs) Uh, which I got to say, having seen D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk, could have the the same soothing bomb of uh, yeah. of troubling narrative with an interesting performer, uh, you know, monologuing at the end. Remembering that his wife was a core member of Mystery Inc., Clint requests that Laura collect information on Sloan LTD. <laughs> oh my gosh, Peaches! <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help it. In the download, Clint learns that Sloan is a front for the tracksuit mafia and that Jack Duquesne is their CEO. Thank you for writing it phonetically for me. You're welcome. I Every time I see his name written out in the subtitles, I have to like rewind and let them say it again because I'm like, Jack Duquesne. <laughs> da- no, Jack that's Duquesne not right. <laughs> I watched a Duquesne the University basketball game last night and this is all I could think about. 
I did not know there was a university. Mm-hmm. Now speaking German for some reason, Laura questions the whereabouts of the missing Rolex, last seen from the black market auction in episode one. Clint showcases his ability to repeat I love you back to his wife. His inability. Excuse me. Showcases his inability to repeat I love you back to his wife. Why yeah, is that, he... That bothered me too. Yeah, like, I, I don't have an entire tangent about this. And he talks in the first episode about, are we all saying I love you on the phone to each other now? It's your wife, dude. Well, The whole series is about you trying to do something to protect your family. Tell your wife you love her. Then he... I don't necessarily think this is happening, but I'm worried it might be happening. Right after this, he's got the waxing about the the other person he lost. And I'm really scared that this episode, that this series is going to go in the, no, he was actually in love with Natasha. He was just married to this woman angle. And I'm, I will, I'm not I will saying never forgive it's happening, but I am worried that it might be happening. No, I, I have, do that. there are two things that I have really enjoyed about Clint Barton so far. And is that he has a very close platonic, but very strong familial relationship with Natasha. And something I've really enjoyed it through this series is how close and open. Uh, it, let me rephrase that because I, open relationship is not what I meant. Uh, <laughs> oh, I wasn't even thinking that. <laughs> uh, no, but how, how honest. close he, Yeah, and honest. Thank you. His, honest. Uh, the candor that he has uh, with uh, with Laura and you know, the fact that they've just, they've talked about Ronan. She's familiar with his, you know, that's not something that he's like, I have to hide my dark past from her. He was reunited with her and at some point clearly, you know, and it's only probably been, what, a year since Endgame? If that. Uh, you know, he's like, I need to be honest with you and tell you about these things. I'm not going to tell the children this, but I'm going to tell you, my partner and my wife. And, and I've really appreciated that, you know, seeing that kind of healthy relationship portrayed especially in a superhero type story or a spy type story where uh, so often there's the trope of the you know the wife sitting at home just waiting for you know hoping that that he the guy doesn't get killed or worrying about about him and everything that she's participating you know she's his confidant i i've enjoyed that they better not screw up both of these things. The two and things yet, I've liked about Clint Barton. <laughs> and yet he does not know how to repeat I love you. Have you ever, and this is not a question for just the men on this show. This is a question for everybody that has been in a relationship. Have you ever said I love you to your partner and they didn't say it back or they yes. say something different back? That's shitty. Mm-hmm. That's really I mean, shitty. I'll go even farther. Has anyone ever said I love you to you and it's not a person that normally says I love you, but you just say it back because it is just, they go, I love you, I love you too. Right. And then you're like, yep. wait a second, how did I get here? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Listen, I, mm, yes, yes. I love you guys. I would I love rather. You too, I miss you. What? I miss you too. <laughs> I love you, I miss you. Yeah. <laughs> You can say both, buddy. You're yeah. Not, you, they're not charging to buy the word for this phone call. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, sorry. Mad at Clint for that. Back at the penthouse with the bishops and Jack, Jack picks an entirely new accent for this episode, and the three share a few awkwardly sentimental moments of dancing, singing, and misquoting quotes. 
<laughs> Aphorisms. Yes. <laughs> uh, Peach, you're still on the. You're still. On... <laughs> I was gonna say you're still on the Jack train, but I decided not. <laughs> Let's go. Get on the Jack train, brother. Uh, you're still. Jack is still a, a point of interest for you. <laughs> No, I want you to say Jack Train. All right, you're still on the Jack Train. <laughs> yeah, I am. Choo-choo, motherfuckers. No, um, so it's really the train that you started with, Eleanor. I think the more the more we see with the more scenes we see with Jack in them, the more I think that his character as a prominent villain is just a misdirect. And I don't know how crazy I sound because I think you know, we had these Disney Plus shows that were mystery box style, right? We had WandaVision. No one had a clue what was going on in WandaVision. Uh, we had Loki. Lots of questions going on in Loki. And they, they were mysterious, right? So maybe my mindset is incorrectly configured right now to think that these Disney Plus shows all have some, like, dark, crazy, hidden secret. I might be reading into this too much. But I'm just thinking more and more about the Eleanor being the bad, the actual bad guy. And I feel like just based on the way he acts in this episode and just if you watch his trajectory of how he's acted from episode one to four, it feels like he is kind of like just a harmless, not necessarily harmless, but maybe he is being used more than he is the user. It feels like Eleanor is maybe using him like specifically when Hawkeye finds out that uh, that jack is the ceo of sloan which is just the tracksuits. okay that's really convenient right or it could be eleanor just placing his name in the database so that she the head of the security company isn't on their registry like it makes sense to me that she would be using him as a cover for her illegal business and I don't know. I'm not saying he's not into anything shady, right? Again, let me go back to that. He was at the black market auction. He stole the sword. You know, he 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 does some shady stuff. But I feel more like he's being manipulated than he is doing manipulating. Like, the way he reacted as soon as he realized that he had Hawkeye at sword point, like I, like I wrote in the notes, he got giddy. He was, like, excited to see Hawkeye in the house. And then he thanked Clint for saving New York. And it was really genuine feeling to me. And then they have this moment where like, he's just like a completely romantic goofball and it's awkward, but it's also like kind of charming the way that he's interacting with the person that he cares about. And it just doesn't feel like he feels more of a misdirect. Do I sound crazy? I don't think you sound crazy. I don't know that I'm going to commit to it, but I will go on record of saying I am now 100% on the, yeah, Eleanor's the bad guy train. Mm-hmm. 100%. For other reasons. But 100%. Okay. <laughs> okay. I I think you might be onto something. I, I feel like there is a chance he's a misdirect. I There is just as good a yes. chance that he is involved, but... I'm having doubts now. I really don't know who I think is the mastermind here. I don't know if he's intentionally disarming or if he's just a disarming chap on his own. <laughs> chap. Um, I mean, he intentionally disarmed Kate in the last episode, but uh, <laughs> I mean, 
Like, is that whole him pretending to be bad at fencing, was that really just him trying to relate to this girl he doesn't know how to relate to? It could be. Is he hiding something? It also could be. Maybe him giving candy to this girl, he doesn't, doesn't, isn't actually him being like, haha, I know. Maybe he's like, children like candy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, maybe everything that looks suspicious about him is just him trying too hard to uh, ingratiate himself to his future stepdaughter. I think, yeah. I think if I have to go on a limb on my prediction, at this moment, it is going to be. Jack is bad guy. It's just that Eleanor is also bad guy. They are bad guy together. Um, I think I think that's what's happening, but I don't know necessarily. The swordsman was at times more anti-hero than villain, right? I'm not imagining that, right? I believe so. I think he kind of went back and forth, and I think you're right. Might have even been associated with some of the Avengers at some point. I know he trained Clint and his brother at the circus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been a I've been reading the uh, the Fraction in Asia Hawkeye comics, and uh, I've appreciated a lot of the callbacks in this show to the point where I think they deserve more credit. <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation to have. Uh, but the uh, they've only briefly brought up the swordsman in flashbacks. I want to say uh, it's been a bit since I've actually had a chance to read because of everything else in my life. I don't even remember references to the swordsman's swordsman, but it's been a while. I, I think he, I think he comes up because Clint's brother shows up, and I think that's how how they do that. Um, I'd have to go back and look again to see exactly what it was. There was an interesting line, and it was interesting that it was said this way. And this is why I think that Eleanor is the one, like she's the bad guy, and the swordsman is her hubby, but also her henchman. They're all sitting at the table, and she says, I hope everyone at this table will do what's right. And that felt like not only talking to Clint and her daughter and Kate, but also talking almost like in code to Jack, like, Jack, you better you better fucking fix this, man. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think you're right. Yeah, there's like no reason for her to have said it that way, because really, if she's just talking to her daughter and Clint, she would have said, I trust you two to do... What's right? Right. Yeah, her words are very carefully picked. Mm-hmm. She's, she's definitely very manipulative. Just as Clint finishes taping frozen cocktail pouches to his body and kicking his feet up, also really strange product placement for this episode. <laughs> yeah. What a weird I, product to be advertising on this Disney Plus show. Did you also suddenly want one of those? Yes. Because it I didn't refreshing. remember the brand name, and I looked them up. That it worked. Kate arrives at the apartment hideout bearing pizza and a plethora of holiday activities. Clint shares his newly found information about Sloan, LTD, and Jack, but Kate deflects his seriousness in favor of holiday shenanigans. Melee Kaliki Maka plays and cues the festive detective montage, baby. Uh, important takeaways include there are no more trick arrows. There is absolutely foreshadowing for eventual boomerang arrows. Can I talk about that for a brief second, the boomerang arrow? Yes. It better be. Uh, it will be brief. Uh, but in the Hawkeye comics, those comics, uh, it's actually reversed. Clint is the one that's like, boomerang arrows. And Kate's like, why the hell would you ever need boomerang arrows? And Clint says, because boomerangs. And I was really hoping he would that 
she was going to say because boomerangs, but she didn't. Uh, but then he <laughs> clarifies that they always come back to you in the end. And then later in that comic, the car chase happens, very similar to the one that happened in the last episode, except they were actually in the 73 Charger. Um, and she ends up saving the day because she uses the boomerang arrows that she thought were stupid earlier. So I hope we get some boomerang arrows. I feel like we have to. Right. Like that was that wasn't just for fun. It had to be like they're going to invent one boomerang. To be completely honest, if they talk about the plot, the boomerang arrows and we don't see them, this is functionally a plot hole. That's true. Mephisto's there. Kate is Mephisto. Mephisto is the boomerang arrow. I really missed you, Soundlord. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Clint finally takes up a mentor role for teaching Kate how to snap a coin across the room. Also from the comic. Oh, interesting. Uh, Now, Chris, I think there have been... You and I have differing opinions on this next point. I thought we might. It's interesting because we have differing opinions, but we come to the same conclusion. I am of the opinion, and I I reached it at the end of this episode, that this should be a movie. That this doesn't serve well enough as as a series, and that I would actually prefer this just to be a fun holiday Hawkeye movie. You disagree. You think it's worked well as the as a TV show, but we also have both come to the same conclusion that I don't think there's actually enough time to fully develop the rest of the story. Yeah. So everyone knows how how I felt about Falcon the Winter Soldier and the whole six hour movie dealy that afflicts so many serialized dramas. I haven't felt like this one has been chopped up too much. It's just pieces of movies. I do feel like each episode has had enough of a through line for me that like, okay, this is an episode and now the episode's done. This is an episode. Now the episode's done. Like it, it's worked better for me than Falcon, the winter soldier. Now, how much of that is chalked up to the fact? Well, here's the thing is that I enjoyed Bucky and Sam's interactions, just like I enjoy Clinton Kate's interactions here. So I don't think it's just that I am enjoying the characters more in the show, but maybe it is. Maybe that's making me a little more, you know, amenable to it. Maybe it's the fact that I couldn't watch the first two episodes till after the third episode came out, so I watched them all in succession. I, I don't know. I'm not experiencing it week to week, except for I finally started this week. I watched the third episode, and then two days later, I watched the fourth episode after it came out. So, so I am experiencing this differently than you all have so far. So I, with that caveat as well, I don't know. But the 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 my bigger point is that there are a lot of plates spinning right now that need to be resolved in two more episodes. All the episodes have been pretty short so far, too. They've all been like the 30 to 45 minute range. Uh, you know, th- some of them have been really short uh, compared to some of our other shows so far. I loved that we got a lot of Hawkeye bonding in this episode. I, I really enjoyed that whole Christmas party sequence. I thought it was great seeing Kate who has idolized Hawkeye all her life to take a moment and see him as a person and realize, oh, wow, he's doing all of this for me, sacrificing time with his family, who he lost in the blip and hadn't seen for five years. You know, uh, she really starts to appreciate what he's doing on that level and does something nice for him just to do something nice for him. Not trying to impress him, not trying to be like, I'm going to be your partner, but just as a fellow human being trying to, you know, connect there. 
and and the fact that he's open to that as well i i really enjoyed it i love that you know him teaching her how to how to flick the quarters and all that kind of cool stuff it was great so so to me that wasn't wasted time in this episode because i thought it was valuable i love character development stuff like that but i also wonder could we've had a bit more breathing room with it if we had either one more episode to work with uh either by having a what are there six episodes yeah mm-hmm. like what if it had been a seven episode series what if there's a secret seventh episode that they're going to surprise us with this has got to be the time right yeah they've been they've been threatening that right threatening. Uh, the the other option here is the first two episodes what if we had made a few little cuts here and there and made those two episodes into one episode get Kate and Clint together a little bit sooner you know we could still establish her world still and I know that we needed to establish more with Kate because she is a brand new character uh, so maybe they could have cut some of the Clint family stuff I, I don't know exactly what you know I, I haven't like sat down and said oh here's here's how I do it but Maybe get those first two episodes down into one episode. Keep it a six-episode series. Now you've got a little bit more time to play with some of these storylines. One of the other kind of things... I I like the idea of Kate starting to warm up to to Jack. You know, after saying, oh, oh, he really is making my my mother happy. You know, she kind of seems to start to come around him a little bit. And I like the idea of Clint subsequently... Being like, oh no, I, I actually do think he's he's the bad guy, and her being troubled by that because oh, I just started to like him. I almost feel like it happens too fast though. If we'd had another episode of her, you know, starting to warm up to him and seeing more than just kind of a smile at the end of one scene, and then cutting right to that, I feel like that could have landed a little bit better. It's still fine, but I do think that with a little bit more time for that, it could have been better. Um. Uh, but, but Eduardo, you agree with me, but also feel like it could have been a movie. I, so please speak on that. Yeah, I, 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 I want to hear your thoughts. I agree that we don't. I feel like we don't have enough time left. I feel like there hasn't been enough character development with these characters, which is strange because it feels like that's almost all the show has been is about like leading these characters together, getting them to, you know to kind of develop together. And I feel like we haven't gotten enough of that. Part of that is because the episodes feel very short. And I don't disagree that they have done a good job having through lines with each episode. I just think it would be stronger as a whole rather than parts. Like I think so far, I think it would just it would flow together. Maybe I would feel differently if I was watching all of these in succession. I wouldn't feel like every week I'm like, man, that was it. Like, I also feel like I haven't yet had an episode where I am like, man, I can't wait for next week's episode. Every episode I'm like, oh, that was fun. And then I move on with my life. And then next week comes out and then I watch the episode again. Like it it is not an edge of your seat show for me yet, which is maybe why I think because of that, it would be better served as a, as a whole rather than in parts. I I'm on team Eduardo. I don't think a show is necessary. It doesn't mean I dislike it. It means that I think some shows are better weekly and some shows are better bingy. And I think this show was better bingy. Um, but y'all covered every point except, Chris, you were trying to enunciate why you think this is more successful than Falcon and the Winter Soldier despite having that same problem. And I I, I just think that it's because it's better. 
it, the villain they're not trying to pretend the villains are more are deeper than they actually are they're just they're fun they're they're vaguely eastern european mafia dudes in tracksuits who say bro too much oh um, i love that they say bro too much yes yeah <laughs> i literally when when i was watching the first episode you put in the group chat about hoping they say bro and they said bro as you said that it was like a perfect moment that i've been waiting to talk to you about but oh that makes um, me happy <laughs> but and then also i'm just there's not a character anywhere nearly as bad as u.s agent in this show <laughs> and just i i think it has like you both said it has kind of the same problem as falcon and the winter soldier where there's kind of not enough character development. We're kind of going to have to wrap up a bunch at the end. And it feels like we don't have time to handle all these threads we have. And it feels like we're watching cut up portions of a movie rather than self-contained episodes. And those aren't necessarily good things, but I'm still enjoying it. I'm still very much looking forward to the next episode. And I'm still enjoying the story. And I think it's because it just doesn't have all the awful stuff that Falcon and the Winter Soldier had. Uncle is greater than Power Broker as far as shadowy. Right. Yes. Oh man, I wasn't even thinking about that part of it. There was so much bad in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think I hate it more as time goes on. And I don't hate Buck I don't hate Bucky and I don't hate Sam. I just hated everything around it. Here's the thing is I still don't hate the show because there's that show is just to me like such a great disappointment because there are so many things in that show that either did work mm-hmm. or should have worked mm-hmm. uh, that everything else lets it down. And, and I know that they had issues with the pandemic and everything, uh, but it just, uh, it just makes me so sad that that show could have been so much more than it was. Uh, and I'm glad that I'm not, you know, and we had started to feel it about this point in Falcon the Winter Soldier. And I'm not feeling that about Hawkeye. After being prodded about his past, Clint recalls memories of saving Natasha and laments on his loss. Where's Danny? Where's Danny when you need him to lament? Clint subsequently reveals to Kate that he was, in fact, the wielder of the Ronin costume during the blip and that he can't return to his family until their shared situation is fixed. We get a really interesting conversation here from uh, with Clint and Kate about what he did and whether or not it was actually bad what he did maybe we haven't talked about it yet but maybe that mug belongs to kate i mean that's her apartment right they're in her apartment. Uh, no it's her aunt's no, apartment, her aunt's apartment. Uh, okay but i do think it's weird that he's drinking out of that mug peach has said this too it's weird that yeah. he's drinking out of that mug i didn't put the mug in the notes because i was too angry every time i saw the mug on the screen Oh, see, I thought we were going to talk about it. I No, I we can talk, talk about it. Talk about the mug. Peach, yeah. you did it perfectly. You start. So the mug says Thanos was right, for those of you who didn't pay close attention. Yeah, here's the deal. Is that, like, we already had... And actually, I'm stealing this from one of our Patreons, our patrons. Dex mentioned this in our Discord. Shout out to Dex and uh, patreon.com slash assembly required in the Discord. Um, I... Dex said this, what I thought was perfectly, they already had a Thanos' is right thing. In episode one, it was graffitied on a wall somewhere. They already had a Thanos was right. And then they give Clint this mug 
that says, oh yeah, this is my, um, it's a cup holder, but it looks like a floppy disk, but it's a Listeners, this man has a floppy disk. It's a cup holder. <laughs> or a coaster, not a cup holder. Wait, wait, a coaster. Anyway, Thanos' right was already graffitied, okay? And I don't think we needed it after that. We already had some, you know, some portion of the population in New York City decided to graffiti on a wall that they have an opinion about Thanos, and that's fine. I think now where we're seeing it again and it's on a mug and Hawkeye is using that mug, I just feel like it's disrespectful toward the character at this point because we know that he did all of this shit because of the blip. He obviously does not agree with the sentiment that San- that Thanos is right. And I don't need to see him with that mug three more times in this episode. It just feels weird to me. Why, why give him the mug? It didn't bother me at all. Uh, I mean, the existence of such a mug bothers me in the sense that, oh God, that mug absolutely would exist if this happened. Yes. Uh, because people are just the worst. And I I don't know, I uh, Mike, a couple thoughts on it. One, I could, maybe it was the only clean mug. <laughs> wash a mug. <laughs> then wash does, a mug. Does Clint Barton look like the kind of man who after being beaten up all day by by Eastern European guys in tracksuits, he would wash a mug? Or would he just grab it and go, eh, screw it? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. That mug, yeah, I'm with Peach. I think that mug, there's no way. There's no way he looks at that mug and goes, oh, screw it. He looks at it and shatters it on the ground in anger. Like, Yeah, I agree. And then I say he doesn't clean a mug. He just drinks out of a dirty mug. That's what Clint Barton would do. <laughs> okay, that's that's probably that's probably a fair point. The, existent, the fact that she has this mug, and I saw somebody say, what if this is rogers the musical merchandise like what if they sell thanos was right and thanos was wrong mugs oh my god okay that would be kind of funny (laughs) yeah um that seems really political for a a musical to make part of their merchandise yeah yeah (laughs) have you ever watched a musical in your entire life (laughs) shut up I, I don't mean, mean that. It, don't shut up. It would it would be like if someone you know in t- in five years wrote a, a no actually it would be like if someone next year debuted a musical on Broadway about the about the pandemic and sold COVID was right mugs you know I'm choking because I apparently shouldn't have said that and uh, my throat was like don't say it Chris don't do it I'm gonna back up Chris here I don't have a problem with the mug I think the mug's fine I think it is I, I and I think. Clint having the mug, I also don't have a problem with. Because, one, I think he's doing it ironically. That's, yeah, that's what I think. I think he's having, them, I think he's having some fun with it uh, because he can have fun with it. I also think maybe we get a little too into the weeds. And when I say we, I mean the royal we. I mean, like, we as a collective society get a little too into the weeds about what a character would do and would not do. Sometimes people are stupid. And sometimes <laughs> people just do stupid things. And I, I get that we sometimes want to have like a reasoning behind it. Like he wouldn't have picked this mug because A, B, C, or D. Sure. Or he picked up a mug and put drink in it and then drank from it and didn't really care about what was written on it. I agree if it's real life. If it's... uh a show that has a conscious art forward decision to use a mug with a specific print on it 
and give it to Hawkeye, the character who killed a bunch of people over Thanos snapping his family away. And I also, at the same time, I'm not trying to go to war with this mug. Like, I don't have like a, I don't have like a vendetta that I have to go fist fight the mug. I just don't think it was artistically a good choice for them to make. Yeah, I'm going to say that not a single point was changed on my rating because of the book. No, same. <laughs> I just work on a MCU podcast where I have to overanalyze things. <laughs> I, I also wonder, like, are we going to find out more about this lady that owns the apartment, Kate's aunt? Because uh, if I'm, unless I'm mistaken, her name that was on the door buzzer is also on one of the film posters in that apartment moira something and i don't know if that's the same person but not that moira and not that one either peach uh okay is this safe for bb <laughs> yeah it's it's not moira mctaggart and it's not me wee baby patrick and moira <laughs> yeah it's not moira mctaggart it's a different moira uh i don't remember her name moira brandon yeah i probably should have looked up to see if she's actually anything in, in marvel she was a west coast avenger Oh. Uh, Moira Brandon was born in Ridge, Illinois. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Let's say because uh, oh. Hawkeye started the West Coast Avengers in the, uh, in the so comics. She wasn't necessarily a West Coast Avenger. She was there at some point and she was killed by Crossfire. And just before she was killed, she like used the crossbow to save everybody. And so Hawkeye made her an honorary Avenger. But she was oh. an actress. Oh. And also, yes, yeah, she was an actress who owned the mansion that became the West Coast Avengers compound. Okay. So it's probably just a fun, fun little Easter egg, mm. but maybe it'll be something more. Mm. But but yeah, she is an actress. Yeah. And maybe yeah. she was in Hawkeye right. the Musical. Or Hawkeye the Musical. Rogers the Musical. Yeah. We go back to the merch, baby. It's yeah. all about the merch. This reminds me, when are Hawkeye and Mockingbird going to finally get married in the MCU? <laughs> um, we'll talk about this. Oh, yeah! I, Remember how I said I, I was, was going to contradict myself I later? I was being ridiculous. I was absolutely being ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But uh, Peach is going to bring up something later that I will use to segue into into a, a theory that people have. Okay. Yeah, and I'll say why I don't like it for personal reasons. Oh, you just got there. Whoa! All right. Let's okay. let's continue on with the episode. Or do we need to do a little bit more mean mug? How am I supposed to mysteriously say my point now? <laughs> okay, no, <laughs> go on. In the morning, Clint reveals a plan to divide and conquer. Kate will convince the LARPers to retrieve their trick arrows, while Clint meets with the tracksuit doormat, Kazi. Luckily for Kate, the LARPers agree, with next to no hesitation, to tamper with evidence by retrieving and delivering the arrows of the two vigilantes, uh, as long as Kate promises to make their assistance worth their while. What's wrong with this scene, Peaches? It seems, if I'm reading this correctly, you didn't like how easily they gave in, but you don't think a bunch of people who LARP as heroes every single week or every single day would not see a hero and be like, I'll do whatever you say, I want to be a hero. I just thought it was weird that with no real hesitation, the one that she talks to who is a cop is like, yeah, I'll tamper with evidence for you. <laughs> I, <laughs> like, 
It's just kind of funny the way they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. I just realized I need mugs that I can hold up. I know. Thank you. We'll get to that later. It's in the notes. I just realized I need mugs that I can hold up during the episode. One that's Eduardo is right and one that's Eduardo is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) This is is an Eduardo is right. (laughs) Merch opportunity. I also enjoy, and this goes back to the, the second episode, Peach. It seems like Kate was like super into the LARPers and was laughing Mm -hmm. with the LARPers and was super, they were into it together. Unlike the second episode, which I did not like how Clint was a little bit more like, wow, these are nerds. These nerds are doing weird stuff. Like it was very laughing at the LARPers. Whereas this was more like, this is awesome. Clint Barton is an unlikable asshole. Without the, oh, so you were only at most of the original Avengers. Got it. (laughs) Yeah. When we were only at episode two, I didn't have the perspective to agree with you. And now that I've seen the way that she acts towards them, I do agree. Like, she's like, oh, sweet. We're, we're doing cool stuff. And he, like, was hesitant and then learned that it was not actually that terrible. But then kind of went back in this episode to, like, why right. I told you to put on a to get our arrows, not put on a play. Like, yeah, I think you're being a dick again, bro. I think we're. And I might be wrong. I think where Eduardo and I part on the LARPing from episode two is I do think Clint was being an asshole to the LARPers, but I don't think the show was being an asshole to the LARPers, if that makes sense. I got my Robbie was right mug right here. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, We got we need four mugs stat. I don't know. Tiny sidebar about the uh, LARPers, by the way, Grills uh, is I don't know if you all mentioned this. You might have. But Grills is from the comic as well. Uh, The character is nothing like him, but the name is Grills. Uh, there's just a guy in Hawkeye's building who was always grilling on the top, and Hawkeye calls him Grills because he never bothered to learn his real name. <laughs> so I went, aww, when he said his name was Grills. Aww. <laughs> Meanwhile, Clint surprises Kazi by hiding out in the backseat of Kazi's truck. He attempts to convince Kazi to steer Maya away from pursuing Ronin, warning him that his pursuit may result... And Maya's death. Clint also yeets a firearm into New York City. Nice. Back at the hideout apartment, Clint finds Kate and the LARPers trying on Viking garb. Kate agrees to trade costume materials to the LARPers in exchange for the retrieved trick arrows, saying she can get enough material for their costumes plus two more. Dun dun dun. Suddenly, Clint receives a text from Velma. Um, I mean, Laura alerting him to a transmission signal coming from the mysterious Rolex. Trick arrows in tow, thanks to Bombshell. Clint and Kate rush to the location of the watch's there you go. ping. There's your reference. That that cop that she talks to, you can look her up too, is like a criminal supervillain. So in a way, it makes sense that she was like, yeah, I'll tamper with evidence. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she she's a... Her character in the comics, she throws explosives and was part of a group of criminals called the Death Throws. Did they throw? They all throw things. Yeah, okay. (laughs) She was also, I believe, allied with the Femazons, which is a thing. Is that that redundant? I think we'll never see that in the MCU, the Femazons. Does that that stand for feminine Amazons? (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes it does. Um, that seems redundant. Yeah, she juggles armed explosives. That's kind of her her whole deal. Um, 
it's like Wonder Woman, but different. It's amazing. So I, this is a weird tangent, but I've been reading a lot of DC comics. It is amazing how many superheroes sort of cross over with different names in those comics, like in Marvel and DC. There was, I was watching a Young Justice the other day, and there was a man called Black Spider that was in basically an evil Spider-Man in everything but name. Like he was a web slinger, wisecracking, like, like he was, it was, it was Spider-Man, but he was a bad guy. And I was like, wow, we just, this is what we, like these, that's what these companies do. They, they have been taking each other's characters for forever. I mean, Deadpool mm-hmm. is a ripoff of Deathstroke. Um, uh-huh. Captain Marvel, we don't even have to get into that because that's a whole mess. Oh, uh, we, <laughs> we've done that one. <laughs> we did get into it, yeah. There, yeah. There's just a lot of uh, back and forth there that's really interesting. I didn't realize that comics were as like uh, Chinese Overwatch knockoff as Chinese Overwatch knockoffs. Yes. At least they were a long time ago. I don't think they are, are as knockoffy as they once were. I don't know who came first, Namor or Aquaman, but those are the same person. N- Namor predates Aquaman by, I think, like 10 years. Okay. I mean, and they are yeah. the same character. Like, it's just... There's, you, yeah. you can just <laughs> you can go down the list. There are character after character that are basically the same person. On a rooftop across from an apartment complex, Clint describes the mark to Kate and attempts to teach her heisting tips. I had trouble reading heisting for some reason. Kate pulls a Batman and vanishes in the middle of Clint's sentences, entering the apartment complex at street level by offering to carry an old man's groceries. Clint, still on the rooftop providing surveillance, guides Kate to the room. After lockpicking her way in, she is immediately startled by silent strobe alarms and fires putty arrows to cover them up. Clint reveals to Kate that their mark is a Rolex, stating that it belonged to someone he used to work with, someone out of the game for a long time whose identity is attached to the watch, and that revealing the identity of the watch owner would compromise their cover. What does that mean? Yeah, so... Now that Chris said what he said earlier, I'm going to try to say this in a way that I that I was going to come at it, but I'll let I'm you sorry. Pig- I, no, 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 no. I, I, I want you to piggyback off of it because I had no idea. I watched this episode three times, which is like, uh, as far as quantity of watching a Disney Plus show goes, it is now near the top of all of these different series. How many times I've watched one episode. And I didn't even really like it that much. I, I I watched it the second time because I was trying to figure out why I didn't get anything out of it the first time. And I watched it the third time to write the notes. But all three times, I just was perplexed by how much I didn't get from this episode. And I can't even really articulate why at this point. It feels like it might be partially pacing it might be some writing at points. It feels like they've written this episode as if parts of it were supposed to be one of the first episodes that we saw. Uh, and it just made it into the fourth episode. Like, I don't know the the dialogue feels clunky at times in particular with this Rolex line, the Rolex in general just felt too mysterious and vague to me because it's important for like 20 whole seconds in the first episode. Then it just, doesn't matter for two episodes. We don't give a shit about the Rolex. And then we care about it again, suddenly. And the way Clint describes it to Kate, I couldn't tell if 
he was like speaking in code because Kate now knows that he was the Ronin, right? Maybe he's speaking in code and saying like the person that wore that watch me, if it was connected to my identity, my family would be in trouble, but it didn't feel like that. It felt like he was talking about someone else. So I'm like, who is he talking about? Why should I care about this watch? Should I know who this watch belongs to? I, I don't know. I like a lot. And, and a lot of the episode felt this way to me. It, it like almost like they filmed this one first. They didn't really have a grasp on how the characters were fully going to talk to each other or interact with each other. And then they filmed the other ones. And now this one feels out of place, you know? Yeah. I get real stuck on the watch. I will real quick say that listener Derek wanted me to mention um, his theory that he believes the Rolex is Julia Louis Dreyfus's and Ronan worked for her during the blip. Um, so I'm, I will speak that into the world. I like You mean that. Ellen DeGeneres? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which but anyway, I've heard working for her is terrible. So, Chris, yeah. So, Chris, you said more on. I am assuming this is the dots connected because you said more on Mockingbird later. Is that who you think the watch belongs to? It's not who I think. Now it we're really going to bring the shows back okay. into the canon. <laughs> there, no, you know, here's here's the thing. There is a theory out there. A theory that the the basic version of the theory is that Laura is a former Shield agent, and that that was her watch, and that she retired. Clint didn't, and you know they got their little farm in Missouri or whatever. Uh, I don't like that in general because I like Laura as a normal person who married a super spy. I don't need her to be a super spy as well. There is a further version of the theory that Laura Barton is her assumed witness protection name, and that she's actually Bobby Morse, Mockingbird. Now, why I personally don't like that, and again, like I said, contradicting myself earlier but when I said I don't really care about canon. The thing is, we already had an excellent version of Bobby Morse slash Mockingbird on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And if Mockingbird is going to be brought back in any way in the MCU, I want Adrian Palicki to play her. I hope I said her name right. I don't know if I did it. Yeah. Uh, but but she, she played Mockingbird on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a season or two. And was very good. And it would be cool to have her back if, if we're going to get Mockingbird. We already had a, had a great Mockingbird there. Now, granted, I don't need her marrying Clint Barton for, for several reasons. But if we decide to retcon Laura as actually Bobby Morse, I will be sad because one, I don't want her to be a spy. And two, I want the Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mockingbird if, if we're going to get Mockingbird. So... Yeah, it doesn't feel like I don't remember the actor's name, but it doesn't feel like she is one that is going to stick around. It feels like every time she's in a Marvel thing, it's more of a cameo or bonus role. Uh, Linda Cardellini. Linda Cardellini, yeah, yeah. Well, I noticed that she's she's uh, credited as special guest star in that in, yeah. in all these episodes, which you know that that has to do with agents and mm-hmm. contracts. So I don't, I don't understand all of that. Uh, and you know, I'm glad she's getting used more, you know, in this show at least because, and and I enjoyed seeing that she's like competent to help Clint with his spy work. 
but I don't need her to also be a spy. Maybe from herself. years of spying. Yeah. See, I don't want that. I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, Eduardo, what were you gonna say? I I was gonna bring it back to the DC thing that Hawkeye marries Mockingbird. And Green Arrow marries Black Canary. Like we're just, oh my god, you're we're right. back here, like again. Oh, weird. I know. I never thought about that. <laughs> I never made that connection. <laughs> uh, but Robbie, but uh, uh, it was Derek's theory uh, that it belongs to Val. I hadn't thought. I had considered the idea that it was somebody that Clint was working with when he was Ronan, like someone who was like directing him to uh 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 okay you know actually now that i've said this out loud it makes even more sense why she sent yelena after him because he got out of the game oh my gosh that's what i believe now i've 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 been converted (laughs) yeah i think derek's theory might make sense i'm not sure i like it because i like the idea that hawkeye was just that derek Uh, robbie doesn't like your theory (laughs) oh no (laughs) I um You heard it here first, Derek. I I think what it's not that I don't like Derek's thinking, it's that I like the idea that Ronan was a rogue agent doing his own thing out there. The idea that he was just working for someone, I'm not sure I like, but it obviously can be explained in a way that I do like. He did say that as Ronan he was being used as a weapon. Yeah. Just okay. like he had been his whole life. You're right. I just The uh fraction in Asia run of Hawk I was called My Life is a weapon there it is throwing that out there i just i i i the watch is just throwing me off to the point that when we got to the watch suddenly being brought back up i paused it and my wife and i just sat there and go wait what is the watch like we have no idea she has no idea like we're just sitting there like what is up with this watch and it took me out of the show because it has not been a running part of the narrative it has been wait the watch matters again wait what's the watch it's well, and that's that's why I thought maybe they wrote this some of this episode first and then proceeded with others because it, they cared about it only in episode one. Hold on. I think this one this one was the same writers as episode one. And I remember because of Heather Quinn. Pretty sure Heather Quinn, these are the two episodes she was the writer on. So maybe we've got a little bit of um, uh, mm. sort of Star Wars prequelness going on with... Uh, writers not necessarily building off of each other's which and i feel like i'm being more harsh than i should be but yeah the watch thing is kind of taking me out i mean i'd be i would be pleasantly surprised to care about it later and then mm-hmm. be wrong about feeling weird about it now mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it might be just uh different writers on different episodes situation because i'm i know that heather quinn wrote episode one and i because i sent heather quinn Wow, we're doxing this person. A picture. <laughs> and then we've got Heather Quinn again in this episode. And I know that we haven't had it on the other ones because we haven't been derailed. We're not doxing her. We've established there's at least two of them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> because we didn't have another episode where we were derailed by Eduardo saying it out loud. So, My bad. <laughs> I mean, I... I don't I, think I, it's I, your I, bad. I don't... <laughs> I don't think it's a writer issue because there is a head writer... And they would, you know, have cleared out all of this story beforehand of like, okay, this is what's going to be important. I So I don't think it's just, oh, the Heather Quinn episodes are going to be about the watch. Uh, but I do think that, you know, there should have been, been maybe one or two more reminders of the watch 
in the other episodes. I think they might have mentioned it last week. Yes, but they had a whole segment in the previously on Hawkeye to remind us that she looked at a butterscotch, but they didn't have anything about the watch. <laughs> they also weirdly had in this week's previously on Hawkeye a clip from the FBI agent calling Kate to ask her to come down to the station, and then yeah. nothing happened with that. So again, I feel disjointed by the clunkiness Unless they wanted us to think about that cop when she went to talk to the LARP cops. Maybe. He definitely was not one of those cops. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I don't know. It was a weird thing to bring back. (laughs) LARP cop sounds like LARP cops. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch a show called LARP cops. Yeah. As Kate finds the watch, she also discovers a notebook filled with the names and ages of Clint's family members. Creepy. Clint realizes the apartment they've infiltrated is the home of Maya Lopez's. Maya Lopez. All right, just rewind for a second. We know the watch was at the auction. We know the tracksuits were at the auction. We know the tracksuits took stuff. Why were we so surprised this was Maya Lopez's apartment? I get we didn't specifically know it was Maya Lopez's apartment, but we should have known this had to be where the tracksuits were at some point. Right. Right. If we didn't know it was her apartment, at least we still should have assumed it was a tracksuiter's apartment, a tracksuit hideout. It's like, oh my God, the head of the tracksuits lives where the thing that the tracksuit stole is. Who saw that coming? (laughs) I will say that I was not surprised by this, but have you guys seen the movie Hush? It it stars uh, Kate Seagal who's in um, Haunting of Hill House and the other uh, Mike Flanagan shows. It's his wife. Um, there's this movie called Hush where she plays a, um, a person with a hearing disability. And it is like, it's a horror movie. It's about, it's like a cat and mouse style horror movie where she is trapped in her own house while a burglar tries to break in and uh, harm her. And she is deaf. So you are a lot of the um, audio perspective from the movie switches back and forth between no audio and audio. And in that movie, she has these blinking silent strobe alarms. So as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, we're at Maya's place. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. um, Similar reason. Just my my wife's job deals with, uh, among other things, deals with knowing about ways to get around uh, or, or to get through life with disabilities. And so as soon as that starts blinking, she goes, oh, it's Maya's apartment. That's her alarm system. So I thought you were going to say her job requires knowing how to get around security systems. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what's her job? Well, he definitely can't tell you if that's the case. She's a cat burglar. Meow. Cat oh, woman? <laughs> Man. It doesn't stop. Catwoman, Black Cat, <laughs> Felicia Hardy, <laughs> Selena Kyle. It's everywhere, man. As he advises Kate to escape, she is ambushed by Maya. It is an ambush. Is it an ambush if it's Maya's apartment? Who can say? Clint believes he's also it's being like when you ambushed. You go in the by ocean Maya. and a shark attacks you. It's like, no, you went to the ocean. It's the shark's <laughs> home. <laughs> the four brawlers, Clint. 
Kate Maya and a fully costumed mystery spy with cool goggles and electroshock wristbands eventually make their way to the same rooftop and trade blows for a while. Was anybody did anybody was anybody surprised? I I I have a confession I, after you. I actually want to ask where each of you realized who this was. Like what was the moment you figured it out? Immediately. Yeah, Eduardo. Immediately. Okay. The second there was a person there I was like, "Oh, that's who that is." I was not immediate. I the red wrist launcher things, my brain was remembering, "I've seen that. Where did I see that?" And of course, I saw it in Black Widow, but my brain wasn't making that connection. It was when the mask came off and I saw the yellow the the blonde hair I go, "Oh, it's Yelena." Right. Mm-hmm. I got it right before she actually used the widow sting. Okay, I was like, I was like, I went, oh yeah, and then she used it. I was like, oh yeah. So I have the same trajectory as Chris, except I'm still 100 percent on the Eleanor's the bad guy train, and I immediately thought that's Eleanor. Okay, so that's what- she's dressed up in. She's dressed up in. She can do kung fu, and she's dressed up in a in a spy outfit. And okay. she's here to whoop ass okay. and take names. I can make it worse. Okay, I'll make it worse and then, because I don't know how stupid mine is, but I was the same as Peaches. <laughs> We're sitting there in the living room going, oh, it's Eleanor. She knows ninja moves. I took it a step <laughs> further because I got confused and thought it ended up there were two ninjas because I guess the, <laughs> the editing just confused me. I thought, no, it's Eleanor and Swordsman. He's also there. <laughs> <laughs> I, too, am a ninja. <laughs> well, until I saw the actual goggles, I thought it was Daredevil. <laughs> oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> We've got- then I saw the goggles like, oh, that's not Daredevil. We packed a, because- we packed a whole lot of awful fan theories into one little scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, Whoops. he's fighting someone. Oh, gosh, what if it's Daredevil? And I saw someone in black. I was like, oh, he's using the old costume. And then I saw the goggles like, oh, he wouldn't have goggles. Um... And then, and then I saw. Then when I saw it was a woman, I was like, "Oh, it's, oh, it's Yelena." Mephisto. <laughs> hey, tell us about that driving experience that was near the Magic Kingdom. I'd rather not. Thanks. Amazing. Oh, because I said Daredevil wouldn't need night vision goggles. Yes. Like that's so bad. <laughs> Sorry, it just reminded me. It was just a, it was a train of thought thing. It wasn't bad at all. <laughs> at one point during the fight, Kate is thrown from the rooftop by the mystery fighter who attaches a rope to Kate's belt before throwing her off the ledge. As... I think the scene is so stupid. You have to read this. I think the scene is so stupid. As Clint rushes over to find Kate dangling helplessly, both of the attackers silently agree to pause the fight, allowing Clint to experience a long, drawn-out Natasha flashback, cut Kate free from the rope, and command her to run away from the fight. Bad guys are so kind. And then... And then, I, and then why do they stop attacking? And then Kate just shows back up and, like, it's as if... Who cares? She just... She, in, like, an instant, she's back on the rooftop. And it's she like... She, like, her way back up like there. It's like nothing ever happened. I will say, I appreciated in this episode, both in this scene and when he's telling Kate about <laughs> Natasha... That they use the music from Vormir. You appreciated that? You yes. didn't think that's too much and just driving stakes into your heart? Okay, we saw this differently. Heard this differently. I, I appreciated it in a damn they're being mean to me way. Okay. 
I don't appreciate when people are mean to me. Oh, okay. I thought for a second on the third rewatch, I was like, surely this scene happens in slow motion. And that's why he does not get attacked while he is a thinking about Natasha B cutting Kate down and C telling her to leave. But no, you go back and watch that scene. That's in real time. They just stopped fighting him. They're like, I wonder what he's looking over the ledge at. Oh, wait, I just threw a girl off the ledge. Who are you? Like, I don't know what they're doing while they wait. Hey, pause the game. I got to take a leak. Like, I don't know what they're doing. Kate makes her way back to the rooftop and rejoins the fight, eventually piercing Maya's shoulder with an arrow, which causes Maya to retreat. Skirmishing against the mystery fighter, Clint is able to remove the assailant's mask, revealing her to be none other than Black Widow, than the Black Widow assassin, Yelena Belova. As Yelena flees the scene, Clint declares that his mission has become far too dangerous to include Kate. Our episode ends in awkward tension between our heroes as Clint steals Kate's bow and commands her to go home. I think an important thing to note in that scene, though, is that Kate Bishop Hawkeye had a chance. She had the shot to take out Black Widow Yelena Belova and then chose not to. Much as Clint Barton did many years before for Natasha Romanoff. Play the Vormir music here. No, I didn't think about that. Ratings. We're going to start with Eduardo. Eduardo, what are you going to rate episode four of Hawkeye? Well, Eduardo, I'm going to rate Hawkeye episode four, eight Splinter Cell Yelena's out of ten. What about you, Peach? Yeah, I just... The clunkiness, the way that I felt, like, all three times that I watched it, I just... I felt like from episode one to episode three, the momentum of the show was really building. And then this one just kind of, like, set us back a few steps. In my opinion, it just felt like it didn't carry the momentum that the first three were generating. So I gave this one seven distasteful mugs out of ten. Robbie? Uh, I still think the whole... I'm really looking forward to the next episode. I did have fun. I still think the show is greater than the sum of its parts. But in terms of this individual episode, just for, you know, the reasons we said, I'm giving it merely... 6.5 6.5 Vormir flashbacks out of 10. Chris? Uh, I went ahead and gave this one 8 zipline fails out of 10. So what do you think we're going to see next, and where is the show going? I feel like we talk about this every week, but we basically just talk about it during the episode. Um, I have one question about what we might see next. If, if we're going to see more of Yelena, I'm just curious... Does Clint know about her? And how much does... You gotta think, if if he and Natasha, you know, talk, like, did she tell him, oh, by the way, uh, while I was on the run, I destroyed the Red Room, I reunited with my little sister? I, I think that he doesn't know who she is. Because I think he would have phrased it differently than it, they sent a Black Widow assassin after me. Rather than... Because one... Wouldn't he know that the Black Widow like thing was like taken down? Like, wouldn't isn't that something that he she would have told him? Yeah, but is that information that he would share with Kate Bishop? Maybe, but does Kate Bishop even know who Black Widows are? Yeah, everyone knows Black Widow. Yeah, but do they know who the Black well, Widow like <laughs> assassins are? Yeah, 
I think, well, yes, because uh, in Winter Soldier, when they dumped all the S.H.I.E.L.D. archives, uh, then everyone found out about Natasha's past. Everyone, so that's, yeah, that's but all, Kate would have That's all public like, knowledge. But Kate would have been, like, 16. That's the kind of thing you'd probably end up, like, studying in high school at this point. It becomes, like, and especially after, there probably would have been profiles about all the Avengers after Endgame. And especially the ones that we lost, you know, so they probably would talk about, uh, you know, trained under the secret, the secret Black Widow assassin program. Uh, so so I think I, I think that it's not unknown to like regular people and especially one who's actually obsessed with an Avenger like Kate. I think that people would know, like if you said a Black Widow, you know, people would know what that meant in the MCU. Yeah, I don't know. So, I agree with Eduardo, though. I don't yeah. think he knows who she is. I, because even even if they had talked, I just think that like the only Black Widow that we know that was like in the popular image was Natasha. So as far as all the rest of them go, their whole thing is to stay covert. So it would be weird if he knew her. Yeah, I think I, I think that he might know that there's a sister, but I don't know if he would make that connection. You know, he's probably never seen a picture or anything. Yeah, and she wasn't wearing the jacket. Yeah, I agree with that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. If you want to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash assemblyrequired. Huge shout-outs to our Avengers-level patrons, Brian, Adrian, and Michael. If you want to send the show an email, you can do so, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. Follow the show on Twitter, at assemblycast. You can follow all of us individually, at ABC Dudorto one for myself, Good 3 for Robbie, GatorSax2010 for Chris, and D underscore Peaches for Peaches. It's going to do it for myself, for Chris, for Peaches, for Robbie. We love you, 3000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Hail Hydra. Bobbly, bobbly.